0: European Heart Journal issue at a glance, Volume 36, Issue 36, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Luscher. Treating Lipid Disorders and Diabetes with Novel and Established Drugs Reduction in Low-Density Lipoprotein Cholesterol, LDLC mainly with statins, has decreased the risk of cardiovascular events over the last few decades and has become a cornerstone of cardiovascular prevention there are however several patient populations that warrant a further decrease in ldlc beyond what has been achieved with statins proprotein convertase subtilisin/kexin type 9 pcsk9 inhibitors are a new class of drugs able to decrease ldlc by 50 to 70% when administered either as a monotherapy or on a background with statins PCSK9 inhibitors are also an excellent example of drug development, where discovery of gene mutations and its clinical effects have rapidly progressed into successful preclinical and clinical studies, with multiple phase 1 to 3 clinical trials completed or ongoing. A timely clinical review article entitled PCSK9 inhibitors past, present and future by Yuichi J. Shimada from the Brigham and Women's Hospital Harvard Medical School in Boston, USA, summarizes the rapid evolution of this novel class of drugs from genetic discovery to the identification of the novel target from animal and human testing to large clinical outcomes trials, followed by a discussion on foreseeable challenges of PCSK9 inhibitors. Patients that may particularly benefit from novel drugs such as the PCSK9 inhibitors are those with familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a common genetic cause of premature coronary heart disease. Worldwide, one baby is born with familial hypercholesterolemia every minute. If diagnosed and treated early on in childhood, such individuals can enjoy a normal life expectancy. Thus, the current clinical review entitled Familial Hypercholesterolemia in Children and Adolescents Gaining Decades of Life by Optimizing Detection and Treatment by Albert Wiegmann from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, aims to improve the awareness for early detection and management of children with familial hypercholesterolemia, as this is often underdiagnosed. Diagnosis can either be made based on phenotypic criteria i.e. an elevated low-density lipoprotein cholesterol LDL-C level plus a family history of elevated LDL-C, premature coronary artery disease and or genetic diagnosis or positive genetic testing. Childhood is the optimal period for diagnosing familial hypercholesterolemia using LDL-C screening with an LDL-C of 5 mmol per litre or 190 mg per deciliter or above or an LDL-C equal or higher than 4 millimoles per litre, or 160 milligrams per deciliter, with family history of premature coronary artery disease and or high baseline cholesterol in one parent, allowing for the phenotypic diagnosis. If a parent has a genetic defect, the LDL-C cutoff for the child is 3.5 millimoles per litre, 130 milligrams per deciliter, or above. The authors recommend cascade screening of families using a combined phenotypic and genotypic strategy. In children, testing is recommended from the age of five, or earlier if the homozygous form is suspected. A healthy lifestyle and statin treatment as early as eight years of age are the cornerstones of management target LDL-C is below 3.5 mmol per litre, or 130 mg per deciliter, if the individual is more than 10 years of age, or ideally a 50% reduction from baseline if 8 to 10 years of age, especially with very high LDL-C elevated lipoprotein A, a family history of premature coronary artery disease, or other cardiovascular risk factors are present. Identifying familial hypercholesterolemia early, and optimally, and lowering LDLC over the lifespan, reduces cumulative LDLC burden and offers health and socioeconomic benefits. In the first clinical research paper entitled Prevalence and Management of Familial Hypercholesterolemia in Patients with Acute Coronary Syndromes, David Nanchin. And colleagues from the University of Lausanne in Switzerland continue on this issue and investigated the prevalence and management of familial hypercholesterolemia based on clinical criteria among patients with acute coronary syndromes. To that end, they studied 4,778 patients of a multicenter cohort study in Switzerland. Based on personal and familial history of premature cardiovascular disease and LDL cholesterol levels, Two validated algorithms for the clinical diagnosis of familial hypercholesterolemia were used, the Dutch Lipid Clinical Network and the Simon Broome Register algorithms. At the time of hospitalization, 2% had probable-definite and 18% possible familial hypercholesterolemia, respectively, according to the Dutch Lipid Clinical Algorithm. The Simon-Broom algorithm identified 5% of patients with possible familial hypercholesterolemia. Among 1,451 young patients with premature acute coronary syndromes, the Dutch lipid clinical algorithm identified 5% with probable slash definite and 47% of patients with possible familial hypercholesterolemia. Excluding patients with secondary causes of dyslipidemia, such as alcohol consumption, acute renal failure, or hyperglycemia, did not change prevalence. One year after the acute event, among 69 survivors with probable-slash-definite familial hypercholesterolemia and available follow-up, were using high-dose statins, 69% had decreased LDL cholesterol of at least 50%, but only 5% had LDL cholesterol equal or below 1.8 millimoles per litre. The authors conclude that a phenotypic diagnosis of possible familial hypercholesterolemia is common in patients hospitalized with acute coronary syndromes, particularly among those with a premature event. Optimizing long-term lipid treatment of patients with familial hypercholesterolemia after acute coronary syndromes is required and possibly more effective in the future as PCSK9 inhibitors become available. High-density lipoprotein cholesterol, (HDL-C) has long been considered a protective lipoprotein and potential therapeutic target. The issue continues with the second clinical research paper entitled The HDL-Adjusted Score Model Worsens Score-Based Risk Classification in a Contemporary Population of 30,824 Europeans, the Copenhagen General Population Study, by Borger, Groner, Nordisgard and colleagues from the Herlev University Hospital in Herlev, Denmark. The issue is of great clinical importance as the role of HDLC as a risk predictor and therapeutic target has become quite controversial recently. The most recent ESC guidelines, however, still recommend the inclusion of HDLC in the risk assessment for primary prevention of cardiovascular disease using a SCORE-based risk model, SCORE-HDL. The authors therefore compared the predictive performance of SCORE-HDL with SCORE. In an independent contemporary low-risk European population. In the Copenhagen general population study, 46,092 individuals without cardiovascular disease, diabetes or statin use were enrolled. During a follow-up of 6.8 years, 339 individuals died of cardiovascular causes. In the SCORE target population, fewer individuals were at baseline categorized as high-risk, i.e. 5% or higher 10-year risk of fatal cardiovascular disease using SCORE HDL compared with SCORE. SCORE HDL did not improve discrimination of future fatal cardiovascular events compared with SCORE, but rather decreased the detection rate of the 5% high-risk threshold from 42% to 26% yielding a negative net reclassification index of 12%. Importantly, using SCORE-HDL, the sensitivity was zero among women. Both SCORE and SCORE-HDL overestimated risk of fatal cardiovascular disease. In well-calibrated models developed from the Copenhagen study, HDL neither improved discrimination nor the negative net reclassification index. The authors recommend that future guidelines should consider lower decision thresholds and prioritise cardiovascular morbidity, particularly in people above the age of 65. Besides hypercholesterolemia, diabetes is one of the most important cardiovascular risk factors. Unlike statins and potentially PCSK9 inhibitors, oral antidiabetic medications have not shown convincing cardiovascular benefit, and may even be associated with the excess risk of heart failure. In a fast-track clinical research paper entitled Risk of Hospitalization for Heart Failure in Patients with Type 2 Diabetes Newly Treated with DPP-4 Inhibitors or Other Oral Glucose-Lowering Medications, a retrospective registry study on 127,555 patients from the nationwide OSMED HealthDB database Angelo Avogadro from the Università degli Studi di Padova in Italy, performed a retrospective study in 32 health services of 16 Italian regions, accounting for a population of 18 million individuals, in order to assess the association between HF risk and use of sulfonylureas, DPP4 inhibitors, and glitazones. They extracted data of 127,555 type 2 diabetics who initiated treatment with such drugs. 14% were on DPP-4 inhibitors, 73% on sulfonylureas, 13% on glitazone, with 71% being on metformin as combination therapy. During 2.6-year follow-up, after adjusting for measured confounders, The use of DPP-4 inhibitors was associated with a reduced risk of heart failure with a hazard ratio of 0.76 compared to sulfonylureas. After propensity matching, when the analysis was restricted to 39,765 diabetics, the use of DPP-4 inhibitors remained associated with a lower risk of heart failure with a hazard ratio of 0.73. The authors conclude that in the largest observational study so far available, the use of DPP-4 inhibitors was associated with a reduced risk of heart failure when compared to sulfonylureas. ureas. This database is reassuring after the trial published recently. In the fourth clinical research paper, mortality following a cardiovascular or renal event in patients with type 2 diabetes in the ALTITUDE trial, Mark A. Pfeffer and colleagues from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston embark further on this topic. They examined the risk of death following cardiovascular and renal events in 8,561 patients of the Aliskiren trial in type 2 diabetes using cardiorenal endpoints, altitude, a randomized trial of alkyrin versus placebo. of patients experienced at least one first non-fatal cardiovascular or renal event. Death occurred subsequently in 26% of those experiencing a first heart failure event, in 30% of those experiencing an infarction, 24% of those experiencing a stroke, and 15% of those experiencing end-stage renal disease, and in 7% of those who did not experience a non-fatal cardiovascular or renal event. Compared with patients who did not experience a non-fatal event, the adjusted hazard ratio for death was 5.9 after a heart failure event, 9.7 after infarction, 7.1 after stroke, and 5.8 after end-stage renal disease. The authors conclude that the majority of deaths occurred in patients who did not experience a non-fatal cardiovascular or renal event, though the risk of death was higher following an event. Their findings illustrate continuing opportunities to reduce morbidity and mortality in patients with type 2 diabetes. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.